And go ahead and stand. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. Okay, um, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, you can sit down. I'm going to pray. God, I just pray uh, this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, we know that it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to see in the spiritual realm and, and to understand and perceive truth. And God, I just pray that, that you would just be present here this morning in, in what is said and that, that, it would be, um, that it would be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's nice having this microphone here. I don't really have to shout really loud as a teacher. I'm a teacher at the high school, so I'm just like barely talking and I hear it really loud. It's kind of nice. Um, so this, this passage uh, is basically, as, I, as I've read it this week, is about humility and unity through humility. And um, so in verses uh, 1 through 5, we kind of have a, uh, a quick overview from Paul of you know, what he's looking for in this particular church. And then in the last chunk that we're going to look at today, uh, 6 through 11 or 5 through 11, we're going to see him transition to be like Jesus and you will be, you'll have unity. And so I'm going to be talking to you about unity today. Um, so first, first two verses, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort and love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. And so I, uh, you know, I read that passage and I was, you know, I, we, we had Adam teach last week, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church. And which is, you know, seems to be a church that's in pretty good shape. You know, some of the other letters, you know, Corinthians or Galatians, things are kind of bleak in the letters to those churches. But in, in this, it seems like the Philippians are in decent shape. But, but we get this hint that there's something that people are not like-minded about. And so, I, you know, as I saw that, I thought, what is, what is, I wonder what it is that Paul is uh, writing this letter about that that's kind of one of the main thrusts of this letter is unity. And so I, I kind of did some research. And um, Philippians 4.2, I think, we have the 
verse up there maybe. Um, so this is Philippians 4.2, a little bit la- later in the letter. And Paul says, I implore Euodia and I implore Cynthia, or Cynthia, I don't know how to say these Greek names, uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so there were two, and this is the only, this is the only thing it says about it, but there, there were two, two women in the church who um, just, I think in the next verse, um, he says, you know, who, whose names are both written in the book of life. And so there's some sort of disagreement between these two women, and Paul is pleading to them to have unity. And, and one of the things that he draws on uh, to, to say, let's, let's have unity, is girl, girls or folks, you know, this is not just a, a thing that would happen to girls, but, um, you know, you're both going to heaven. Your names are written in the book of life. So can we find a common ground, you know? And so as we look at this first chunk, you know, I think, I think we now have a little bit of a context as to specifically what Paul, um, what Paul was motivated by. But we, what we use the scripture for is we take a principle of something that was going on in a letter to, by Paul to another church, and then we can apply it to our own life. And so I'm going to try to draw some stuff out here. Um, so, so it says specifically, being like-minded, having the same love, being one, of one accord, of one mind. And for the rest of this passage, as we look at it, um, Paul is really going to focus on this one mind, that we would have one mind. And um, before I get into that, I want to share just a personal uh, story, how this, I feel passionate about this text this morning. And, and so I, I became a Christian about... Uh, 14 years ago, when I was 18. And so if you're good at math, you can... You, so is you 47? No. Um, 32. And, uh, um, and, and when I became a Christian, uh, I didn't really have any theology. I kind of grew up with a little bit of church, but I didn't know anything really. So uh, about two, three months into becoming a Christian. I think I became a Christian my freshman year in college at Oregon State. And I think when I was home for Christmas break, a good friend of mine, a woman who I knew, gave me a book about Calvinism. And so then I think for the next semester, you know, I kind of picked it up and read it sometimes. And, you know, I was, I was 10 minutes old in Christ, you know. I mean, I had, I had very little experience. And I read this book, and I was like, and it was by R.C. Sproul. You know, he's a good, good guy. And uh, I read this book, and I was just like, this is it. This is, and, and it's, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to get into Calvinism today, but it's sort of this higher level, this theology. It's sort of like, for, you know, ordinary people, like, you may not ever have really done a whole lot of study of Calvinism, Arminianism. And so I kind of, oh, look at me. I'm reading this book, and it's going in depth into things that people don't even think about. And uh, so, I don't know, a couple months into that, you know, I, I, and then, you know, I struggled with it for a little bit, and then I read Romans 9, and I was just like, this is it. Everybody's, everybody's not seeing this. This is what's wrong with America, you know, or the American church. That, how do they not realize this? This is it, you know? And, and so I got really puffed up with pride, you know, and, and I, you know, Romans 9, I thought I had it, you know? And, but the funny thing was, I had gotten saved at a church that was not a Calvinist church. And, uh, and, 
Another thing that a lot of times you don't see with Calvinism is the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, that's not always true, but there's kind of this joking phrase out there called the frozen chosen. And so people, it's funny, people who are Calvinists tend to be cessationists, which means they don't believe the Holy Spirit's gifts are totally in operation today. And so before I became a Calvinist, I had gotten the gift of tongues, and I spoke in tongues. And so here I was, you know, six months old in the Lord, and I was this, you know, charismatic Calvinist, which is just sort of a contradiction. And, uh, and so I just, you know, I, I thought I'd figured it out, and the church I was going to was a Calvary Chapel, which I got to say, Calvary Chapels are so good and balanced on this kind of stuff. And, uh, but, you know, I thought, the pastors there, I thought, these guys are, these guys are wrong about Calvinism, you know? But... I also liked them because I really liked their, their, the movement of the Holy Spirit and their, and their willingness to give place to that and, 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 you know, just a lot of things I loved. And so, and I didn't really know much, so I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go find another church that's exactly like me. Uh, so I just kind of kept hanging out anyways. But I would, I mean, I remember this one time, uh, my sophomore year in college, the pastor gave this sermon and uh, it, was, it was sort of the anti-Calvinist sermon. I think it was out of John 3.16 that he did it. And I remember just being so mad afterward. Just being, he's so wrong. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. You know, his, his arguments are so weak. And, and there was this anger in me over this theological issue. And um, so that's, as we talk about unity here, I'm going to come back to where I'm at now, but as we talk about unity here, I think one of the things that that relates to is, is some of these theologies that are a little bit higher up, like they're, they're not the essentials. There are essential things that, you know, we would break unity with a person over, you know, like, like I had a girl this week in my biology class, we're dissecting fetal pigs, and, which is, that's quite, wow, where's this, where's this sermon going? Um, <laughs> So we're dissecting fetal pigs, and this girl comes up to me, and it, the last day of dissecting fetal pigs, all, we've looked in all the body cavity, and everything's gone. And, and so I tell them, you know, you can, if you want to, you don't have to, you can cut open the skull and take out the brain and look at some of the things in the brain. And so this girl's, like, totally into it. And uh, she comes up to me, and she's like, hey, um, you know, there's thing, and she's asking me about the pineal gland and, and this, this uh, bone structure in the brain where she thinks the pineal gland's supposed to be located, and... And I'm like, oh, I don't think the pineal gland is surrounded by this stuff. And it, and it was just interesting. She seemed to know more about the pineal gland than I did even. And, I, and then she looks at me. She's like, yeah, well, the, the pineal gland is your third eye. And she just looks at me. That's how you activate your third eye. And she just starts going off on this new age weird stuff. You know, and I was just like, oh. <laughs> and, you know, there are certain things where if somebody's going to like come to church and be like, hey, so when we pray tonight, can we just activate our pineal gland while we're... Like, that would be a situation where like, we can't really have unity on this one. You know? Um, but there's a... So we have essentials. Like, for example, we are not Hindu. But then we have some non-essentials. We call them open-handed issues. And Calvinism-Arminianism is this, is this beautiful tension and debate in, in the Christian world that we don't as a church in our statement of, of you know what we believe and stuff we, we say this is an open handed issue and so um, what I'm trying to get to here is there are certain things where unity is more important so let's let me get back to the text here and get into this um, some other things we'll, I'll draw out as well 
So, um, so being of one mind, of one accord, being like-minded. So I, I, I took this phrase and I, and I said, I wonder, I feel like I've heard this phrase, being of one mind before. And so uh, I, I just did a search and a couple verses, I actually found this cool article online where this guy goes into Greek. I don't know anything about Greek. Greek is Greek to me. But um, this guy was a theologian and he was going into it about this one mind phrase. And so the two words were autos, which I, I think is probably like self or one, and then uh, proneo, which means mind. And so when these two words get put together, there's like four or five times where this happens in the New Testament. And so, uh, so I, w I was looking at this and I was thinking, is this, is this like-mindedness, like we have to have all the same views on theology? Is that what Paul is saying here? And, uh, and this guy happened to be writing a whole article, a blog post about how it's not, and that's a lot of times how theologians take it, and so they feel justified in like dividing themselves from other people. And, uh, and so he brought out what this, what this phrase means. So in the English Standard Version, Romans 15.5, look at how this is translated. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, and the, the phrase, the two Greek words, is translated to live in harmony. And so it's not just being like-minded like in like you have all the same theology, but it's like the phrase in such harmony is the same two words. And so it can be translated like to live in harmony. Let, like there's peace between you with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And so he's trying to make the argument when I was reading this article like this does, you don't have to have all the same theology. You just, you're supposed to find ways to live in harmony as believers. Go, go ahead and bring up the next one, Romans 12, 16. And we see that same phrase, live in harmony with each other. This is Romans uh, 12, so it's, it's past theology. Romans 1 through 11 is theology. Romans 12 is like how to live as a Christian in the world. And it says, live in harmony with each other. And then this, I love this next chunk. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So like as you get puffed up with pride on these theological issues, you know, it's okay to just stop getting so proud, and just hang out with regular people who maybe don't even think about this kind of stuff. And don't think you know it all. Isn't that interesting that when we want to live in harmony with each other, uh, that we would, we would need to be humble and, and not uh, puffed up with pride? Now, I mean, this, I better broaden this for you guys. I mean, this isn't just about theology. This isn't just about, you know, controversial doctrinal issues. But that's definitely one place that you could go with this with one-mindedness. And, and so keep going. Um, this, this problem that we have as Christians, like when I was that young Christian who was, who was so puffed up with pride that I understood a doctrine and I thought that you know, I was smarter than everybody else. This is a normal problem that we see throughout the New Testament um, as pastors exhort churches. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 1.10, this is Paul. And, and he's specifically, this passage, he's talking to the church um, because they are, you know, this 1 Corinthians 1 passage, this guy, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow um, Paul, I follow Jesus. And, and in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I don't know if you guys have that one, but he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that there be no division among you. So the Corinthians were dividing over little little things. Okay, Ephesians 4.13. Uh, maybe you guys have that one back there. There we go. 
till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Sort of unity is sort of pictured in this text like, like it's a mature thing to have unity. It's sort of, you know, the, the Corinthian church was kind of known for being immature. And so immaturity as a Christian, you're going to have little divisions, you know. Um, as I am a help with worship team, this comes up where one guy has one idea about how this sh- song should go, like when should we build, you know, which instrument, who should sing it. And it would be really easy for a church if there wasn't, un- if there wasn't humility in that. If, if this guy wants to be the worship leader on that song, but this guy wants to be the worship leader on that song, like if you can't humble yourselves and like just say, oh, go ahead, dude, you, you sing this one. No, you sing this one, dude. I was in a meeting with uh, the, the elders and we were talking about, we were figuring out who was going to teach these next four weeks and I can't even remember what it was, but there was some decision that was pretty minor and everybody was like, no, I prefer your idea. No, I prefer your idea. And I'm like sitting there like, okay, guys, come on. Let's just make a decision here. So I'm like, all right, here's my cell phone. If it lands face up, we're doing it this way. And I just, I just spin my cell phone and it lands face up. And I'm like, all right, that's what we're doing. And we made that decision that way. Because no one, everyone was so humble and prefer, no, I prefer you. No, I prefer you. Okay, let's just go, guys. Come on. Sometimes it's a little bit unnecessary to be so humble. But, but it's a waste of time. But you get what I'm saying. It's not a waste of time. Be humble. Be humble. Okay, um, keep going. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. And we see this exhortation to the Colossians uh, to be long-suffering. Uh, go, go to 13. Oh yeah, long-suffering is at the end of 12 and then 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So there's this, this constant reminder in every letter that's written, and I, I didn't go through them all because there's so many. Um, one... I'll bring this, James 1, 4, or 4, 1, bring that up, not yet, hold on, I shouldn't have said it. Uh, <laughs> I'm new at this, guys. Uh, there's this constant thing in every letter to the churches that the apostles feel this need to tell the churches, hey, be patient with each other, bear with one another, be humble in your own side of yourself and your opinions and your desires. And I remember... This must have been, you know, as, you know, eventually as a, in, as a Christian in college, in a church where I was thinking I was a Calvinist and then they weren't, eventually I would, you know, you just got to sit there and listen. And um, it wasn't out of humility that I stayed in that church. You know, I think it was just out of like, I don't know what to do in this situation. And I kind of like it here. But this other thing makes me really mad. And so I just stayed, you know, we just kept going to Calvary Chapel and, and it must have been, I think the summer of my, after my sophomore year, this guy, Larry Lyon, who was a pastor there, he spoke at our little prayer meeting or our real life summer thing. It was in, in the house of Karis and you guys don't know what any of that is. And, uh, and he, I remember he shared out of James and he's like, what, this, this is what I'm really working on right now. And this is a guy who's been a Christian for like 35 years. And so I'm like, oh, this is interesting, you know. And uh, so go, go ahead and bring it up, James 4.1. Oh, this is totally not the verse that I was thinking of. Let me find it. <laughs> uh, let's see. The wisdom from above. It's totally in James. Maybe I didn't. Oh, 3.17. Bring up James 3.17. And so Larry, Larry's like, this, and this is what he taught on. The, 
James 3.17? Yeah, sorry. I'll just read it to you. How about that? So the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, and then this was the phrase that I really grabbed onto, willing to yield. And, and this translation, I guess, is peace, gentle, open to reason. That's great. I like that. So, like, this, this guy's been a Christian for 35 years. Like, if I'm, you know, been a Christian for six months, and I'm sure Calvinism is true and everyone needs to know it. This guy's been a Christian for 35 years, and he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes you just got to yield. Just whatever you think is right, just yield. You know, and that's radical. That wisdom is not like, I'm right, and you need to know it, and here's why, and here's all my great arguments. Wisdom is like, okay, let's just, let's just reason. Let's, let's be open to reason. Let, let, me, let me just be willing to yield here. Let me be gentle and peaceable. And so, um, so as Paul's writing this letter, and I want to get out of this chunk of the text now. As Paul's writing this letter to the church, that's, that's what he's getting at. You know, it's like, guys, you can have unity as a church over like non-essential theological issues or how you're going to lead worship or, you know, what, what ministry your church is going to be a part of or, or simpler things like what are we going to have for dinner at home group or which seat am I going to sit? They sat in my, that's my seat. They sat in my seat. Maybe you should be willing to give up your seat so they can have your seat. But I always sit in that seat. I'm telling you, it's happened. So um, there needs to be a humility in the church. Like, don't act like the rest of the world does. There needs to be humility in the church that we're willing to yield, or else if we if we aren't, we're going to disagree about things because we're trying to live together in a much closer, tighter relationship than the world does. And even when the world doesn't live in a very close, tight relationship, they fight like crazy. I had somebody telling me yesterday about this situation and his kid didn't make this team and he's like, I'm never, my kid is never going to play on that team again. You know, like, and that's like, your kid is 10, dude. It's like, there's like eight more years, man. Like, there is division in the world. There shouldn't be division in the church. Okay? So, um, and so what's the key to a like-minded church? Paul's, Paul's emphasis here in uh, verse 2 being like-minded, and then at the end, of one accord, of one mind. The key that Paul is about to really emphasize with the, like, one of the most amazing passages in the New Testament, the key is humility. The key to a church having unity and not dividing over stupid things like, you know, like I talked about myself, you know, the key is humility. And so let's look at the text. Uh, verse 3. And he, so he calls out, if there's, anything, if there's anything good going on in your church, that's verse 1, then be united in Christ. And then verse, that's verse 2. And then verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's the key. That's like the verse, that's like the hub of this wheel. How do you have unity as a church? Stop looking out for yourself and worry about other people. And I'm like studying this last, like I'm studying this 
yesterday, and then I'm driving, and my truck is not the nicest truck, and it's only got one seat in the front, and it's got these two junky little seats that come out of the sides in the back, and so my kids are always in there with me, and so the, there's three of them, you know, so two of them are getting the junky seats in the back, and every time we walk out to my truck, oh, Dad, can I have a shotgun? And, and I'm like, no, no, you can't have shotgun, because you're putting yourself first, and then another one, Dad, can I have shotgun? No, Saya's going to have shotgun, because he didn't say anything. And then, and then we get in the car, and there's like two pieces of gum left, you know? And so the, and then Noah gets a hold of one before I even see it. And so Noah's got a whole piece. And then, and then Eli's like, Dad, I should get to have the other piece of gum because Saya got shotgun. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, okay, I break it in half, give me each a half. And it's like, Eli, he's, he's my oldest, you know? Eli, like, don't just, don't just be like all about every, giving yourself the best. Like, you get in the car, I want shotgun. We get in the car, there's only one piece of gum. Give me the piece of gum. You know, like that's, that, and my kids are a snapshot of everyone's sinful nature. Okay? <laughs> right? And so are yours. Okay? And that is our sinful nature's automatic go-to default. Me. Oh, me first. Of course. Put me first. And then I, th I was thinking about it while I was driving. As we get older, we get better at hiding it. Not because we don't want it. But because now there's this new thing called pride, and we want people to think we don't want it, right? <laughs> so there's like this one sin of selfishness, but sometimes we can mask it with pride so other people will think highly of us, so then we look like we got it all put together. Oh, he's so humble. No, he's not. Okay. So anyway, uh, Jesus is our example. So, so Paul says, guys, there's, there's some division between the two girls with Greek names that I can't say. And, and so Paul's like, Let's, here's, here's the key, guys. Let each of you not look only for your own interest, but also look for the interest of others. And, um, and so he, he then goes into this next passage. And let's just read the whole thing all at once. Um, I, I'll just, I got it broken up in here, but I'll just read each one. And so this, this next 5 through 11 is just like amazing. Okay, so like maybe if you have your Bible, open, open it and like actually look at 5 through 11 now. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So you're having trouble in church? There's some, there's some lack of unity? Here, try this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue, could, tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you might notice if you look at your Bible, depending on you know, how people do things in their Bible, you might notice you've got normal text, takes up the whole page, and then when you get to this chunk, it's like, it's like a poem. It's like a little indented thing. And so this, this passage, they think, this is, this is what they think, they don't know for sure, but they think Paul is taking a hymn, a song that they would sing in church, or a creed, sort of a, a statement of belief, because they didn't have you know, Bibles like us. They didn't have a book. So they would, they would memorize word for word creeds. And so they think they're taking either a creed or a hymn. 
and that, that he's just putting it in right here, okay? And so it's, it's got poetic language, and I don't know anything about poetry, but I saw this thing on the internet, and it's like some kind of pyramid structure. And so right at the center is Jesus on the cross. So it's all this humbling of Jesus, and then all this um, glorifying of Jesus. And so if you look at it, um, it kind of splits in two like that. And so, so Paul's like, okay, guys, you're, ha- you're having fights. Let's look back to Jesus. That'll be a good example of how to deal with it. And so, um, and this is, this is like, he says specifically, uh, have this mind, I think. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so what mind, you know, that mind is also talked about in the second or third verse where he says be of one mind let this mind be of you so what is this mind it's the mind of christ and it's the mind that christ had in coming to earth to take care of us and so let's look at this um, for a minute look at uh second corinthians 8 9 do we have that one okay so th- this is a great like same passage in one verse for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's crazy. Like the switching of the poor with the rich. So like, think about Jesus, and, and let's go to this verse here, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now there's some, there's some uh, heretics, uh, what, do, what do you call them, false teachers, out there who twists this verse around. Um, so I've got a couple other translations. And when you don't know Greek, something that you can do if you kind of really want to get the sense of a passage is just read like five or six translations of it. Okay? And so being in the form of God, what does that mean? Uh, NIV is this one, who being in very nature God. So Jesus was the same as God. Jesus' substance his nature is that he is God. But um, who being in form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so that, that's kind of a, that's a very literal translation. And so bring up that NIV again. In the NIV, it says did not consider equality. So he's God, but he's not going to cling to it. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. So Jesus is in heaven. He's being worshipped by angels. He's part of the Trinity. He's God. And he doesn't say, hey, I'm God. I get what I want. I'm going to stay in heaven. But instead he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to become poor. I'm rich. I'm going to become poor so that other people can be rich. Um, Bring up the, uh, I think it's New Living. Or maybe this is the New Life version. Did we find that one? Okay, so here's, I found this one online, it's called the New Life Version, so this is like a paraphrase translation, but I really liked it, and it says, Jesus has always been God, but he did not hold to his rights as God. Okay, so Jesus could have just stayed in heaven, could have been like, you know, crucifixion, that's painful, I don't want to do that, but instead, he's like, I love my creatures, my, my created beings, I love them. I'm going to go show them how much I love them by being crucified. And the cross, the cross is sort of beautiful and, and stuff, you know, like, it's like, oh, yeah, put that around my neck. I think a better, I was thinking about this this morning, a better symbol for us in our mind when we read the passage like this is like a noose. 
you know, or like, I mean, I'm trying to think of like a torturous way that people die nowadays, you know, but like, like your sin kicked out the stool that Jesus was standing on when he had a noose around his neck. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't just this nice little tattoo that people get when they don't even know, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pain. And I mean, can you imagine what it was like to be God? I mean, you can't, I can't, but I mean, it's probably like the best thing ever. And then, can you imagine what it would be like to go from that to not just being, you know, alive like, oh, you know, I got a, I got a Mercedes, I got a mansion, there's food everywhere, I'm good. But he came down and he, did, let's keep going. He came down and he made himself of no reputation. He was born in a barn and he was laid in a feeding trough on hay. Um, and he took the, and then it gets even worse for him. He takes the form of a bond servant. He, he becomes just like a, a slave, and comes as as like someone in a third world country living in poverty. And he comes into the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself further and becomes obedient to the point of death on a cross. And then I think the thing that was the worst is when the father turned his face away, you know? Like he's on the cross, he's taking our sins upon himself, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew why, you know? But he was, he was bringing us back to that passage in the Old Testament where that was. And he, our sin separated Jesus from God. And I don't have all that theology worked out of how long that lasted, but, but he took sin for us and traded us and gave us his righteousness. There's no greater story, you know? Like, there's nothing greater than infinity becoming zero. You know, there's no number that's higher than that. And he became the lowest thing, sin, for us. And so, I mean, I mean, that, I mean that should just lead us to worship, right? But what Paul's using this for is he's saying, guys, Get some perspective here. Your names are written in the book of life. Who cares if she sat in your seat? Enoch or whatever her name was. You know, who cares if you disagree about what food to make for home group? Who cares if you don't agree on Calvinism and Arminianism? Jesus died. Jesus became God, or being God, became a man, died on the cross, took sin all over himself. Don't you think you could like maybe put someone else first? Like Eli, since since Jesus like paid your sin debt and now you don't have to burn in hell for eternity, you think maybe Noah could have that piece of gum? You know? Like that's what Paul's saying here. And um, so let's look at that. Let's take that for a few minutes and just chew on it. And this is this is also Jesus, this is the mind of Christ. Can you bring up Matthew 20, uh, 24 through 28? See if you guys can guess what is going on here. Matthew 20, 24. Okay, I guess we're going to go one verse at a time. Okay, try to, try to put this in context. It's a little game for you. And when they heard it, they were greatly displeased with the brothers. Keep going. But Jesus called to them himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever's... Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. 
And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Anybody know what that's coming from? Context? Yeah. James and John fighting. I'm, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Actually, it was their mom. Hey, could you give one of my sons to the right hand, maybe the other one on the left? And, and then the other disciples hear it, and they're upset. How dare you guys? And Jesus, this is a great teaching moment for Jesus. Hey, guys, actually, that's not the mind of Christ. Here's the mind of Christ. Go back to 27. Please. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. I think in another place, Jesus said the first will be last, right? So like, this is the mind of Christ. Put other people in front of yourself. Okay, another verse, um, John 13, 15. Let's see if you can find the context on this one. It's like a fun game. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Washing the disciples' feet, okay? And so Jesus is like, here's James and John again, you know, sitting at the table before dinner. No, dude, I'm going to be the greatest. And the John, no, dude, I'm going to be the greatest. Peter comes over, guys, guys, I'm the greatest. And Jesus is watching all this go down. He's like, here's another chance to teach these numbskulls what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so he walks over, he washes their feet, washes the dirt between their toes. Can't imagine what that smelled like. You know, and he, and he got his like thing around his waist and he's washing their feet. And then he says, guys, and he washes everybody's feet because there's no slave around right now to do it. You know, that was, they had like a slave or a servant that would normally do it. And then Jesus says to them, can you imagine Jesus washing all of their feet? And then he says to them, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's the mind of Christ, you know? You, got, you, you understand the mysteries of, of Calvinism and Arminianism. You know with absolute certainty how to interpret every passage of the New Testament. Just keep your mouth shut. If you're so smart, why don't you just listen to other people and make sure? You know? Like, as me, as a, as a young Christian, like, in that church, I started listening to Pastor Rob. And, yeah, some of his arguments weren't that great. But some of them were. And some of the stuff that the Calvinists think, it doesn't exactly make sense. And if you just sit there and keep your mouth shut and actually listen, you'll learn stuff. And that's what I learned. You know, there's some humility there. And, you know, I mean, I know there's guys who, who really still believe in Calvinism, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I kind of do. But, but either way, you know, like I love Pastor Rob, and I love R.C. Sproul. But, you know, I love, I mean, he wrote a book, you know, big deal. Like, I don't know R.C. Sproul. I love Pastor Rob. I know his heart, you know. Like, I know he cares so much about the gospel. And if, if he's got that, that one thing wrong, I don't care. He's doing a great job at what he's doing. And there, that needs to be the humility in the church over doctrinal issues or, or whatever that we might fight about is like, yeah, we disagree on this, but I love you. And so maybe I'm wrong. Like, why is it that we're so convinced that we have the ability to think through things and figure them out? 
Like, do you know that other human over there who thinks differently than you? They're made out of the same stuff. Like, why is it we're so convinced, like Romans 12, 14 or whatever it was, don't be so sure you're right. Like, don't trust what you think so much. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And that's scary. Whoa. But, like, maybe just be humble and, like, listen to other people and consider what they have to say. It's been really sad in this church. I've been in this church four years. It's been really sad. I've got a brother who, he's my brother in Christ, and I love him. And he left this church partly because we were not, we were too Calvinist. And then he left, and I'll tell you about him in a second. I have another brother who left, and I love him. He left this church because we're not Calvinists. How do you, how do you please everybody? Okay, and then here's the funny thing. I mean, look at the fruit of that. The brother who left because we weren't Calvinists goes to a Calvinist church now. And he's not a Calvinist. So what did you accomplish? And then the brother who left because we're not Calvinists, he doesn't even go to church. Okay, how is that the right decision? I mean, don't you know, like, basics from the Bible, fellowship is a part of this? So, like, it's sad. It's sad to people, see people go out, you know? And, and I don't know everything up here, guys, but... But man, wouldn't it be cool to be a part of a church where we could have some diversity in what we think about theology and we could say, yeah, you know, Kevin, he thinks this way, but Jeremy thinks this way, and I love them both, and I know they love each other, and there's no problem. We can have, that's why we call these things open-handed issues, because it's not essential what you think about this. So, and I mean, it, it goes to other things too. Let me give you a few more examples and I'll be done here. You know, like, it's not just about theology. I mean, theology is in my heart right now because it just makes me so sad when my brothers decide, oh, I can't fellowship with you anymore over this. Like, that is just not the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to say that. That's not the Holy Spirit. You are in your flesh if you think you need to go fellowship somewhere else because you don't agree with me about this one non-essential issue. Um, and, and I really think, I'm, honestly, I think it's a lack of maturity. The wisdom that is from above is willing to yield. So, um, so but let's, let's apply to some other stuff too. Uh, I already did that one. I put a couple of these together. Um, Adam, so we have this passage, Jesus who in, who in very nature, you know, was God. Didn't grasp onto it and hold onto it. Adam Barney, where is he? Adam Barney, who being in very nature a farmer from Prineville, had every right to own a big diesel truck, but sold it so he could adopt a baby from China. Thus saith the Lord. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I did one about Aaron Mapes, but I didn't think he was going to be here, so I deleted it. Aaron Mapes, who being in very nature an American citizen, had every right to live a fat, sassy American life, but instead became a missionary to Nepal and lived in a third world country. Thus saith the Lord. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I'm reading this book right now called Radical, and it's all about how this is, this is the mind of Christ. This mind of Christ is how we should live, you know? And I, I want to be radical. I have a friend who um, is, is about to be a surgeon in um, Ethiopia at a Christian hospital in like a third world, you know, village. And, um, and I want to go over there and live there for a year with all my kids. And if you had told me that in college, I would have just been like, no way, that's not safe. I wouldn't even have health insurance, you know? 
And now I'm like, oh, let's do it. Our kids will turn out so much better, those little brats. You know? <laughs> they need to see that. Right? And like, like as Christians, like we sh- you should all have these radical dreams of what God might let you do. Instead of like what God might make you do, what God might let you do. Wouldn't that be awesome? You don't have to sell your truck, Adam. That was just my idea. Um, so let's finish up here. And uh, you know, yeah, worship team, come back up. You might sit here for five minutes. I'm not sure. So the very last chunk of the text, therefore God has also exalted him. So after Jesus did all this stuff that was just putting other people first, you know, it's, it's going to work out good for you if you do that. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so like, and I know it's in my heart and I I think it's in your guys' heart, you know, is like if God has exalted Jesus over what he did on the cross for us, how much more should we exalt Jesus for what he did on the cross for us? Like, I, when I pick out songs for worship, I always get as many songs as I can that are just about Jesus, the cross, and his resurrection. I just figure, you can't go wrong with that message. You can't hear that message too much. What happens is I feel like we grow dull in our brain to it. Like, oh yeah, the cross, it's like a beautiful symbol. Tattoo it on my arm. The cross was like the most humbling, sacrificial thing ever. And... Like, man, I, wanna, I want it to stay fresh in my mind what happened on the cross for me. Um, so let's move to this. And, you know, this, this, this idea of, of um, Jesus and every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. There's two options there. You're either going to be a person who's confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord with your knee bowed, and it is going to be the greatest celebration of your mind and your soul and your heart. And Man, that's how I am. Like, I, I've taken this evolution class right now online because I need to take classes from school. And, um, and I'm reading all these, all these things that people post, you know, and, and, and the first couple chapters of any evolution book always talk about creationism a little bit. And so people, the four in the first chapters and people have to make some kind of post. And people are posting these things about the Bible and God. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so grieving, you know? And it's just so sad. Like, and it just makes, it makes me so sad that the world hates God, you know? But then there's this, I don't even know if this is right or wrong. But then there's this part of my heart that's like, oh, but there's coming a day where they're going to have to bow their knee, you know? And they're not going to be bowing their knee worshiping. You know, they're going to be bowing their knee like fearful and not wanting to bow that knee, you know, and judgment is coming next. And so you're, which one are you right now? Are you, if today, right now you died, when you're bowing that knee before Jesus in heaven, you're going to be excited and exalting him? Or are you that knee that's going to be bowing and you're terrified because you had it wrong? 
the Bible says that um, they descri it describes Jesus like a rock. And you can either fall on the rock and be broken, or the rock's going to grind you up. You know, so today, the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If, if God is speaking to you right now, like, your life is nothing like Jesus, and you know you're supposed to be living like Jesus. Not, not that that's going to make you righteous. Okay, you fall on that rock and be broken. That death on the cross was for you. The Bible says anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they can be saved. It's not about works. It's not about doing enough. It's about God, I'm falling on you right now. I'm a wretched sinner. Please forgive me. I recognize that you are God and I have been living like I'm God and that's not right. Fall on that rock right now. Um, you know, the Bible says everyone, it's, it's a free offer of salvation that's out there. Everyone who believes on him will have eternal life. So, let's pray. And just, just bow, your, bow your heads and close your eyes and just, just want to give an opportunity, you know, anybody who's out there, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, if, if today your knee would be bowing out of fear, you know, your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This amazing passage we read today, he did that for you. He did that so you wouldn't have to go to hell. He took sin upon himself so that you could be rich in eternal life. He became poor so that you could be rich spiritually. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never called on his name to be saved, if you've never um, believed in him, today the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. And you know, it's simple. If you, if you need to know how to do that, come talk to me afterwards. Come talk to Kevin. Come talk to Adam. Talk to Aaron. Like, let's make sure that th that's gone on in your life. Let's make sure your name is written in that book. And God, we're just going to exalt you in whatever this next song is. Lord Jesus, taking our sin, humbling yourself to the point of death on the cross, and God exalted you and has given you the name that is above every name. And Lord, we exalt you. And we will spend eternity worshiping you and admiring the greatest sacrifice of all time.